Pink Midnight. Pink Midnight. Pink Midnight. is or how it strikes. Have you seen the demons that surge through the corridors of the crazed mind? Do you know that in the world of the insane you will find a kind of truth more terrifying than fiction? A truth that shock you. Come with me. Into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my world. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman who is mad. You may not recognize some things in this world. And the faces will look strange to you. For this is a place where there is no love, no hope. In the pulsing, throbbing world of the insane mind, where only nightmares are real, nightmares of the daughter of horror. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pink Midnight. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Dementia, a film by John Parker. Uh, also released as uh, Daughter of Horror. Um, and I'll get into exactly why there were two versions of this uh, film released. I'm looking at the BFI Blu-ray uh, also comes with a DVD. The cover has Im- black and white images from the film, and it's surrounded by black and red spirals. Uh, you have a couple images that are prominent in the film. Um, there's a character called the rich man uh, who's smoking a cigar, this kind of overweight gentleman. Uh, he was the one kind of famous actor apparently that was part of the film i'd never heard of him before but his name's uh, bruno Vesota. and there was some uh theories as to whether or not he may have been the unknown director because it never actually says who directed it in the credits even though um on the back of the blu-ray and stuff it says directed by john parker and everyone assumes that it's directed by this guy john parker who never uh made another film after this and it's got another lady in the film uh, who is just kind of lounging, wearing fishnet stockings, smoking. And there's a flashback scene of the main character, the scene where she apparently kills her father, which is kind of this weird Freudian reenactment flashback sort of scene. And there's also a picture of her. She's sort of a androgynous, interesting face uh, and gives a really strange performance, the main actress. Uh, so 
let me just read the back, tell you about the, the features and so forth, and then we'll talk about uh, the film in depth. I did watch it four times, so you can kind of get a sense of my thoughts and dedication and uh, immersion in this film for, for about the last week or so. So Dementia, a woman's nightmare of murder, maiming, and mistrust mo- proves to be more than a mere dream in John Parker's influential horror. Stripped of dialogue using only sound effects and an unnerving score by George Antiel, also scored uh, Ballet Mechanique, Parker combines horror, film noir, and expressionistic methods to depict a mind descending into madness. Shocking audiences upon its original release, the film was initially banned by the New York State Film Board, who deemed it inhuman, indecent, and the quintessence of gruesomeness. Foreshadowing the likes of Roman Polanski's Repulsion, Dementia is now available on Blu-ray for the very first time. Uh, So the features, let me just take you through those real quick. Presented in high definition, standard definition. Uh, The Daughter Daughter of Horror, the alternate, it doesn't seem to be an alternate cut, it just has some narration which is kind of funny and i'll I'll talk in detail about that in a minute uh that doesn't seem to be in very high definition but the uh the dementia the the original version as the film was intended to be does look uh immaculately restored newly recorded audio commentary and dementia by film critic and editor-in-chief of diabolique magazine kat ellinger she's also on the podcast daughters of darkness and she does an awesome job her commentary is great really uh insightful very well-researched, she tracked down this one really obscure article, one of the only articles that had been published about the film, and she talks a lot about that, uh, which is pretty fascinating, and she did a lot of research into this film, so definitely if you are if you like this film upon a first-time viewing, you've seen it before, you're considering this Blu-ray, definitely worth it at least, at the very least, for that commentary. It's great commentary. So it also contains Daughter of Horror, like I said, um, which is a, the same movie except for there's, I think, maybe three scenes with some very dramatic narration. And at the top of the show, that was from the Daughter of Horror Cut, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, it, it makes it uh, a little more uh, almost like flamboyant and silly, almost more of like a Ed Wood sort of picture, the, the narration. And ironically, I think it was the cinematographer was also Ed Wood's cinematographer. And uh, let's see... Uh, it actually says a little bit more about that cut. After being picked up by producer Jack H. Harris, Dementia was re-released as Daughter of Horror. Whilst also featuring music without dialogue, Harris made a number of edits and added narration by actor Ed McMahon. Um, I'm not really sure exactly what the edits were. It seemed pretty similar, the film, but I, I guess I missed some some of the edits. Then there's uh, Alone with the Monsters, a short film, a study of people's unconscious cruelty to others, this bold experimental film was directed by nazi uh sorry Naz- nazli nauer with cinematography by the great walter lassily didn't really that didn't really make too much of an impact on me i don't know, it seemed kind of like subpar maya darren but uh i don't know i i i, I only watched it once then there's a very short trailers from hell with joe dante who you know directed a lot of fun hollywood films uh very insightful he kind of goes really quickly through his thoughts on the film i kind of wish it was longer because he was really insightful then there's uh before and after restoring dementia that's a very short thing where it just kind of has um the restoration with the non-restored dementia side by side and just shows how much how much better it looks after the uh restoration 
Then there's a Dementia Trailer, Daughter of Horror Trailer. Both pretty similar. Uh, neither one really sticks out. I guess the Dementia one was from 2015, but I feel like they both had similar footage. Um, then there's some stills and publicity stuff. The film was only released... I guess it was he tried to release it. John Parker tried to release it for years and no one would accept it. So he kept trying and he only got one showing of it. And I think it was open. Yeah, it was opening. It was like on a double bill with some film about Picasso. And they have a shot of like the opening night of that happening. And then there's a couple shots of, uh, you know, the production. Not, not too many shots. It also comes with a cool little booklet, which I'll uh, read a couple quotes from at the end. But I wanted to give my thoughts now on the film. So uh, my first time watching it, a couple things stuck out. We have a lone figure on a deserted beach. Then there's a deep drag on a cigarette. There's a scene of domestic violence next door. This paper that says mysterious stabbing, which the main character kind of smiles at and... Kat Ellinger points out how subversive that is, that this woman is kind of laughing at violence, laughing at brutality. And there's, there's a scene with a bum uh, trying to... He, he comes out of nowhere, forces this main character to drink from uh, like a bottle of uh, the bourbon or something, and then the policeman starts beating on him. She laughs at the policeman beating him. There's some... Uh, Murders in a graveyard revealed by man with black mesh covering his face. And this is the part where it's a bit Freudian, kind of like reliving the dream. Did she kill her father or is it all symbolic? We're not sure. And I forget who someone, I think it was Callinger was sort of uh, critiquing the pop psychology sort of aspect of the film as one of the film's weaknesses in a sense, which I could see a little bit in that it was almost being a little too literal because it has like the grave that says mother, father. It seemed a little too literal in that point as well. The, the, the parts that seemed truly subversive still and that still seemed mysterious were kind of what kept me intrigued. Then I wrote, uh, oh yeah, I mentioned that the androgynous lead woman, uh, the androgynous lead woman has very unnerving expressions. Uh, money talks until it falls. There's a scene where she kills, she stabs the rich man and his bills kind of fly everywhere. Uh, there's sort of, I was thinking about wh whether she went into some sort of dissociative fugue because then she looks up and the guy's back again, even after she stabbed him. But then she goes down and sees him dead and he's grabbing her lost medallion. Uh, she has this huge medallion that she wears. Um, then she, then there's a scene of sawing off someone's hand with a switchblade, the guy's hand that she killed uh, when she's trying to get the medallion out of his hand. She places the hand in the flower basket of the girl selling flowers. This was a a figure that was introduced earlier. It sort of has an a, some aspects of a spiral, this film, where you have figures repeating, recurring, and never quite, um, you know, kind of completing cycles. And sort of a dream logic when the medallion returns as well. All right, so the second viewing, that was the one I watched with Kat Ellinger's commentary, and I had some thoughts about that. Uh, she talks a lot about female alienation and how subversive, again, it is to have a woman excited by violence and how it's kind of still a transgressive idea, not something we typically think of as a female fascination or, um, 
you know, a typical female response. Uh, she calls the central female character masculine as well. She talks about how this figure has an aggressive male energy. Or maybe she's just angry. She also makes a connection to Hitchcock's black male, the, his, uh, one of his early sound features, in which uh, the main character imagines that others know what she did. Others know about this crime that no one actually knows about. She has this. She has these hallucinations that uh, prove that everybody's on to her. I haven't actually seen that film, but it had me very intrigued when Cat Ellinger was bringing that up. Uh, and sort of a deliberate stylization to be a violent film. I forgot what I was thinking in terms of that comment. So the third time I watched it, I watched the Daughters of Darkness cut, and there is something subversive. I agreed about a woman laughing while a man gets beaten. Then the, I thought the, the voiceover intro is slightly comic and slightly bizarre, too. Not exactly a B-movie, but not exactly um, a timeless work of, you know, kind of transgressive cinema either. Um, when the rich man tries to kiss her, she stabs him. I was thinking of some of Cat uh, Ellinger's points about uh, she was kind of doing a Freudian analysis of that scene where uh, she brings him a drink, he refuses it, he starts playing the piano, then a butler comes in with all this, a big plate of chicken, and he uh, starts like kind of licking the chicken, chewing on it, and there's grease dribbling down his chin, and, you know, he's kind of taking that, and then she kind of sprays some water, which Catlinger interpreted as, um, you know, kind of a mockery of his impotence in a way, uh, sort of a innuendo going on there with the water spraying. And then we have a voiceover, which tries to be almost changing into like a literature or to make it a little bit more literate. I think that's what I was, what I was thinking, but instead it kind of abstracts the film further. And uh, there's a great comment about that idea in the booklet, which I'll read uh, in a minute here. Uh, the fourth viewing, I was noticing the hand twisting in the sheets, mad with desire, shifts to a woman walking on a foggy beach. So I think some of the images and symbols were becoming coming through with a stronger force during the fourth viewing. Uh, she and a vertically challenged newspaper seller laugh about the mysterious stabbing headline. She sees this in a newspaper. Her ominous amulet around her neck gives her an odd disposition, and she almost has like this pancake makeup. And it makes one also wonder if she might be like a Satanist. She laughs in the shadows when the bum who forced her to drink is beaten with the butt of a gun. The tall man buys flowers from a flower seller. And this man seems to sort of resemble the man playing her father. They then walk under a poster which reads Fortune. The newspaper with the mysterious stabbing headline keeps floating back to her. Um, the film has echoes of deceit. Who was the embittered woman washing the floor? This woman looks up, and I think she later recurs too. So again, these weird cyclical patterns to this film. Everything seems staged for someone else's benefit. And are they echoed, repeated, or hallucinated? Uh, she tries to offer the rich man a drink and ap an act of supplication, but he's far more attracted to a towering plate of uh, greasy chicken which then dribbles down his chin like a greasy river. 
close-up of a cigar being lit, uh, framed as if it's touching her knee. She then laughs as she sprays water at the bar and laughs a dirty innuendo about impotence. Ellinger asks in her commentary, again, that same point. When she finally leans in for a kiss, she stabs him and he falls. And then we have, oh yeah, a couple things from the booklet. So first off, another interesting thing about this movie is the fact that Preston Sturgis endorsed it. The director of Palm Beach Story, Sullivan's Travels, um, a lot of other great films. Uh, this Lady Eve, I went on a Preston Sturgis kick over the summer and was loving his work and his writing. So I thought it was cool that he endorsed this. And here is the actual memo that he wrote. En Guard. This is at the beginning of the booklet. This is from Preston Sturgis, Hollywood, 1953. Art is a medium for the transmission of emotions. It is not difficult then to determine for yourself, at least, whether a work of art has failed or succeeded. It was intended for you, italicized this last word, you, italicized, are the only judge. I, italicized, enjoyed dementia. It stirred my blood, purged my libido. The circuit was completed. The work was a work of art. Whether you, italicized, like it or not, will depend entirely upon the permeability of your emotional shell, your idioplasm, and your previous conditions of servitude. It is not important. Preston Sturgis, Hollywood, 1953. I hereby grant to my friend J.J. Parker Jr. full permission to use the above hocus-pocus complete with my signature in any way or place he sees fit. So sort of a strange and obscure comment about the film by Preston Sturgis, but pretty charming and somehow passionate too. It was very nice of him to help out his friend, John Parker. And the last thing I wanted to end on was just to think about the two different versions of this film and how that uh, affects the experience of watching this film. And uh, this is at, toward the end of the booklet. The shift in tone between the versions speaks to the broader shifts and tensions of the era in which it was made, and then tweaked, when films might slide between context and registers, connecting a broader, burgeoning, experimental scene to a moody, gently sensational, psychological, existential horror. There would be, amongst others, 1961's Night Tide by Kenneth Anger's close friend Curtis Harrington, Carnival of Souls, released a year later, by Herc Harvey, and Bloodbath, 1964-66, by Jack Hill, and Stephanie Rothman. These all spoke to unstable identities and an alienated, internalized horror possession, in turn reflecting a broader feeling of post-war uncertainty and darkness. Dementia slash Daughter of Horror, in its split, also seems to lie on the hinge that connects different possible directions of travel, the later trying to shore up its allegiances. It appears a feeling persisted that some audiences would need the narration, that a film with no dialogue at all, as it had been, would be too alienating, even confrontational. This feeling solidified into a convention, neither iteration gaining full dominance, one again needing the other. The original was, after all, a lot more atmospheric and unusual. The acceptance of both of these ver two versions, whatever the reason, nonetheless preserves something of that shifting context, and the two different departure points, one more experimental, the other more genre horror. This combined package straddling the two as though the artifact could never be fully formed or finished as a cinematic product. And yet its own larger biography and journey has also defined what it is, going far beyond its time, picking up punk postmodern kudos 
and an authenticity as a piece of filmic outsider art. And I think that says it better than any other uh, kind of quote uh, or thought that I had during the viewing of this film four times. And it's a rather short film, really worth watching at the very least once. I highly recommend this Blu-ray from BFI. So check it out, Dementia, and also containing Daughter of Horror. Thank you for tuning in to Pink Midnight. We hope you have enjoyed your stay in this haunted hotel, in this abandoned palace, in this opulent field of nowhere grass.